Hey, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. Just want to jump in real quick and give you a heads up on today's episode. I had a really cool guest come on, Clarina He, who's somebody I got to know a little bit over the last few months down here in Nicaragua, in Higante, Nicaragua, who just has one of those personalities that is so positive and infectious towards everyone around her that I thought it'd be cool to bring her on and hear a little bit about her story and where she's at in life and, and kind of what makes her tick and then contrast that with uh, the the things that I've seen over the years down here and you know, she's a young woman still in college, still searching, still really enthusiastic about wandering the world and learn, meeting new people, learning new things. And um, it's a place I think a lot of us start. And it's always interesting to see where everyone ends up. So I thought it'd be fun to bring her on. And when she showed up, actually, she had quite a few questions of her own for me, which I was not expecting. And so when we kind of got started and just started chatting casually, how do you start recording it? I said, you know what? Why don't we just record this and see where this episode goes? And I couldn't be happier with the episode. I mean, she had so many wonderful questions that were really, um, that were really open ended, objective, allowing me to kind of express myself in ways that I don't think the audience has gotten to hear before. She was a great leader and of the conversation and super inquisitive. And this episode, I think, has got a lot of value for all you out there uh, listening. So sit back and enjoy me and Clorina He on their conversation that transpired over a nice afternoon in Higante Bay. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by the lovely Clarina He. I just said Hugh again. (laughs) And uh, it's cool because actually I think she's going to start the episode with questions for me. Yeah. And then we'll just kind of freestyle and see where it goes and... I brought her on because she has a, a spirit and a life that you actually don't see too often. I mean, people have an energy that you have that is like vibrant and people are attracted to. But in places like this, you don't necessarily always see it last. And that's what was interesting for me is to see your enthusiasm in this place that you've come and adopted as your home for the next like three to six months or something mm-hmm. like this. And I know you're a college student and you're super excited and you've traveled before and like, that's awesome. And I love to see that because it reminds, I think, all of us why we came, you know, what we are here originally for. And like, unfortunately, I think a lot of us lose that for whatever reason, you know, if you get wrapped up in drugs and alcohol, obviously. But sometimes, and my brother-in-law said this term to me once, and I'd never heard it before, but he calls it a tropical depression. He grew up in Hawaii and he saw a bunch of like people coming, moving there. Again, very enthusiastic side, the island life, the tropical lifestyle, like living the dream if you will but then this like tropical depression sets in like it didn't meet their expectations in the way they thought it would and like it set in they set in this like very negative mindset and they just he watched them kind of spiral down into a a depression i guess and i see it here too with expats as well and people who i think after time realize like it hasn't met their expectation so with that said, I mean, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to do this with you. So why don't we start with you talking about all these wonderful questions you have for me? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. Um, 
So just for you guys' information, I am like, we don't, Chave and I don't really know each other super well. Like we've met a few times, but I've always thought of him as like someone so wise beyond his years and like someone that I could really um, get to know. Well. I really, when I think about people's minds, I think about them like as like, you know, like Japanese rock gardens mm-hmm. where um, like if you're tending to them and like, you're like working on your garden when you like read, when you talk to other people about like meaningful things or like when you're surfing, like places where like you can be mindful and like kind of focus on one thing. And um, I think about like, tending to other people's gardens it's like when you talk to them and when you like explore what is in their mind and so it's kind of weird but like i like i bet like your garden is incredible <laughs> <laughs> like as far as um being taken care of like, yeah uh, yeah uh pruned or groomed like you yeah, just said yeah yeah it's um and so i'm i'm so excited to get to know you better <laughs> yeah that's, that's great me too that's really nice of you to say actually i mean no one's ever actually made that comment or statement and for someone I think to be observant. I mean, I do, I try to, I consider myself a student of life and, and I really try to be professional at just life in general, take care of myself, take care of my mind, you know, and not necessarily just lash out at people for no reason, just because I'm having a bad day. I do try to be mindful of, of where I'm at inside and out. And thank you for noticing that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I want, so I want to know like where, did you come from? Like what? I grew up in uh, Orange County, California, Newport Beach or Costa Mesa to be exact. But most people I think know Newport Beach for the, the nice weather, the, the wealthy atmosphere and the wedge for a lot of people who surf. Mm-hmm. It's got a famous wave that a lot of people around the world know of called the wedge. Yeah. So, um, what, what in your childhood kind of like had drove you to become who you are today to like get out of Newport and like, reach all these faraway places? I think fear and unhappiness, <laughs> really. I mean, I didn't enjoy the environment. I grew up in, I had a loving family, and um, but Newport Beach, the area I grew up in, I just never felt connected with. I felt just, I couldn't relate to the people I was surrounded by. I made great friends, who a lot of whom I still have to this day, but at the same time, just um, my values weren't in line with the environment, the place itself. And I really wanted to, I guess, find me and where I fit into the world. And um, John, my best friend, who you know, who's been on the show multiple times, episode 27, um, he, my friends in general were always, like, I think, really inspirational. They were the ones I always fed off of in their, what they were striving to accomplish, which helped me kind of stay motivated for the goals that I had set for myself. And, um, yeah, I spent 17 years not very happy, you know, just went through a pretty gnarly batch of depression at one point, I'd say like, uh, 14 to 16 or yeah, I had a, you know, thank God I had my parents who noticed it and and sent me to a wonderful therapist who I'm still close with to this day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she planted a lot of seeds in me that I've talked about in episode 10, where I was standing in the Louvre in in Paris with my dad when I was 17. And all those little seeds that she had planted in me all sprout at the same time. And that's when life changed for me forever. You know, I just, it was beautiful for the first time. I saw beauty in the world and people. There was color around me in this museum. And I was like, this is it. This is what I want to see and feel forever. And I spent every moment since then, like striving to, as you said, like maintain that inner beauty and outer beauty that I see and feel. 
And so, yeah, I think, I don't want to call it suffering, but 17 years of not being pretty happy with myself really drives a person to go out and try to figure it out and, and find happiness. And I think taking responsibility for that was the, the turning point where I said, this is enough's enough. Like, I'm going to start doing things my own way on my own terms. Wow, that's really incredible. Um, I think it's funny that you said, um, uh, like the sprouting, just like all the seeds sprouted, because that's your garden. <laughs> it's right. your garden, baby. Yeah. Um, so, what are the values that you were like realizing weren't aligned with like where you were? Um, I think my motivation always was to try to be the best person I possibly could, and I found that. I was not becoming that person. I didn't feel like I could grow into that person. You know, I was partying a lot and doing things that I wasn't very proud of and it wasn't helping, <laughs> you know, that, that feeling of, um, joy that I have felt since then. And so my values, I think really started gravitating towards this idea of like taking responsibility for, for how you feel. Uh, what you want out of life. If you're somebody who says they're going to do something, go do it. Don't be somebody who's a flake, whether, whether it's personally, professionally, or socially, like hold yourself accountable. And, um, I mean, I have very specific memories of when these things like kind of lit up within myself. I remember, I think I even discussed it in episode 10 where I had a, a soccer coach after a game, um, was just, we were all sitting there. We were bitching we were moaning about all oh, the ref we had just lost and he just cut us off said stop each one of you needs to look inside yourself and take responsibility for the reason we lost and just the way he said that you need to take responsibility individually for the reason that we lost kind of just like again just everything lit up inside of me and it's like i haven't taken responsibility for anything <laughs> i've ever done really you know not that I ever put the blame on people, but it's like, I think I just would always make up an excuse for why it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people do that. And then I started doing that. I just take, okay, if I'm unhappy, like, how am I going to find happiness again? Well, let's take responsibility for the unhappiness first, you know, and start doing things that might make me happy. Mm -hmm. So maybe stop drinking, maybe get fit, go out and exercise, eat better. Start, <clears throat> instead of doing things that you know please your family and friends, start doing things that you are going to please you and be fulfilling for you. And I hear a lot of like these gurus, if you will, talk about that, especially within this entrepreneurial online world that I talk about where, or that I, I'm learning about, where they talk about like your family and friends are 99% of the time the people are holding you back the most. And it's going to be the hardest decision you make to say like, no, I'm done. Like I'm going to start living life for me, you know, and not necessarily in a completely selfish way, but you do, I think in order to find what you want in life, have to start like now with that statement, you know, I'm going to start taking responsibility for what I want now. Mm -hmm. That's really incredible. That's so interesting though. It kind of, so the quote that I was talking to you about before, it kind of reminds me of that because it was just saying about stripped of everything that you know, everything that's comfortable to you. Like that's when you can really figure out what you have left and like who's there when everything else is gone. Yeah. You should read the quote. Yeah. It's, um, so it's by, uh, Michael Crichton and it's the guy who wrote Jurassic Park and he wrote this book called travels and it's about his like spiritual travels, his academic travels and his, you know, actual 
direct experiences. And he goes and says, um, Often I go to some distant region of the world to be reminded of who I really am. There is no mystery about why this should be. Stripped of your ordinary surroundings, your friends, your daily routines, your refrigerator full of clothes, or sorry, food, your closet full of clothes, with all of this taken away, you are forced into direct experience. Such direct experience inevitably makes you aware of who it is that is having the experience. That's not always comfortable, but it is always invigorating. Yeah. Yeah, did you No, I was just going to say, like, yeah, that's, I think, exactly right. And we did discuss that a little bit before. I know you're an avid reader, and I really admire that about you. You have a lot of um, cool books that you want to share with everybody that they should read, and I think that's awesome. And I think that's so true, that statement that, you know, you are stripped of everything when you're on the road in a culture that you don't speak the language, you don't understand, and you get to really see who you are and what you're made of and grow from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, going back to what you were saying earlier, though, about um, about you know, like you dealt, you've dealt with like a lot of suffering. So like that is what made you want to like have your own direct experiences. But like, mm-hmm. how did you let things go? You know, like how, cause a lot of people say like, Oh, like in order to enjoy my, the moment, sometimes you just have to let things go mm-hmm. like in the past. And like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Like, what's your process? Now it's a great question because I didn't really fully understand that statement until maybe like five years ago. And we discussed books a lot, you and I, and The Power of Now for me was a a life-changing book, something that I've now at this point read like three or four times, always finding something new and and valuable within that. And and just the practice of staying present, staying in the moment, which I didn't realize until I read the book that I spend most of my time not in the present moment. My mind, I realized, is constantly wandering, mm-hmm. constantly daydreaming, constantly being negative, mm-hmm. constantly just under control of me and realizing that there's a whole different experience I can have if I try to maintain presence in every single moment, which is tremendously difficult for me and I think for a lot of people. And so I started um, practicing just breathing like just conscious breath throughout every day. Like I'm not a really meditator. I do believe though, like through surfing and through activities like extreme sports, you can come to that peaceful place within each moment. Because a lot of times as a surfer, you do have when you're surfing bigger waves, like life and death is on the line. Or if you're a rock climber, for example, like in order for you to, to accomplish what you've set out to accomplish, you can't be anywhere else except for in that moment. And that's where I think real change and things happen. So when you, when you talk about letting go of the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somebody who has this like merry-go-round going in my head of negativity, yeah. especially when I was younger. Like I've really worked on it over the years. And what happened was when I started really understanding these concepts, a lot of Eastern philosophical concepts, mm-hmm. you realize that when you do start to train yourself to be more present, it like opens up different parts of the brain that haven't really been used much. And then through that, you get to release. And I think that there's a lot of dissipation in that um, cognitive merry-go-round that I just described. It weakens. doesn't always, some, for some people it might go away with time. For some people it might never go away. I don't think it's ever going to go away for me, but it loses strength. And for example, like situations that 
would really fucking bother me back in the day or people that really fucking bothered me don't. And it doesn't, you don't really realize it until I've been practicing now this for like five years Mm. and now it's just things are, you know, that statement, it is what it is. I didn't really get it until I read this book. You know, the second you go beyond that statement alone, it is what it is. Like it is a situation that I don't like. Well, now it's a judgment. Now you've judged that situation and that's what perpetuates that merry-go-round in your brain. And that's when you can't let go. But if you just let it be and you let the emotions come and go, the negative ones, the positive ones, even the positive ones, because positive, positive emotions can turn very sour if you're trying to hang on to them. So it's very important not just to let go of the negative ones, but to also let go of the positive ones. And that's why I think when I started really understanding what it means to let go and become free of that psychological suffering that I was going through as a young man, like, cause I, I didn't let shit go, you know, like I just fester inside of me for days, weeks, years because of that merry-go-round, you know, mm-hmm. that dwelling. And, um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, so, so your um, therapist when you were younger, she planted seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, were, like, what were these seeds and like, what do they have? It was more her, she's just so gifted at mm-hmm. allowing me to be and express myself and then navigating through our conversations weekly, um, pointing different directions of thought towards me. Like, you know, you, hey, do you think about it like this? Do you think about it like that? And never again, never really saying this is how it is, but hey, have you considered thinking about it like this or that? And never being frustrated if I didn't get it right away, but just that repetitiveness, I think that she um, consistently was instilling in me. Like I said, that all it took was that moment of everything coming together at the right time where it all kind of came together. And I was like, oh, fuck, now I get it, dude, <laughs> you know? And it was just like every cell in my body just became so peaceful mm-hmm. and light. And in that zone, that flow state that we, we hear athletes talk about where it's like, oh, I get it. And it comes and goes. I don't live in this state always. I don't know if everyone, anyone can. But um, when you're there, you know you're there and you know it's right. And it's kind of like, you know, Neo seeing the Matrix, you know, at the end of the movie where it's like, oh, it's just that warm kind of feeling comes over you and like you can do incredible things when you find yourself in those states. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Wow. Um, so uh, I've always wondered, like, it's, I, I like asking kind of vague, more va- like vague questions because mm-hmm. how a person answers a vague question kind of determines like where they are in their mind. Mm -hmm. And so like, if I were to ask you like, what are some of like the highest and lowest points of your life and how have these experiences shaped you? You can, you can break it up like highest, lowest, but like, um, well, lowest point was, you know, that period of time I'd say Mm -hmm. from like 14, 16. Yeah. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure my way out of that one. I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own. You know, I was coming home from school, just going straight to bed. Um, didn't hang out with friends anymore. I mean, just was like, got pneumonia, got super sick, like, wasn't in a good state. And I think it was mostly just psychological induced. Like, I just couldn't mm-hmm. find my way out of that negative thought process. So that was for sure the lowest point. Um, since then, I mean, like I said, low points haven't really been that low anymore because I take yeah. responsibility for them, number one and own up to it if I fucked up or like, you know, so I don't really beat myself up too much anymore Mm -hmm. about things 
that I've done or fucked up on. Um, and then the highs, I mean, life got so much better from 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, <laughs> 25, 26, 27. Like, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like everything I, every year I've accomplished, something's gotten better. Whether it was an accomplishment I had made because I'd set a goal and, and worked for it, like playing soccer for UCLA mm -hmm. or traveling with John around the world, you know, on no money, just seeing how far we could go as little mm -hmm. as we could. Mm -hmm. Or then, I mean, I think the culmination was coming here and getting into a situation where I got to live my passion every day, which was surfing. I was boat guide for Giants Foot Surf. Nice. And I was surfing every day, waves that were not crowded yet. Nobody was here. I was with a group of people that were so dynamic and so interesting in the way they thought and who they were and supportive of me and my weirdness. You know, <laughs> it was the first time I ever felt so connected to a group of people. We're all so different, but everyone just accepted each other for who they were. It was also a time where I was challenged. Like I was not secure within myself and like, um, say like doing manly things. I couldn't saw anything. I couldn't drill anything. It's not how I was brought up. And mm -hmm. so I was really exposed. I felt like in those weaknesses and, but again, it's surrounded by people who were better at it and nurturing and, and showed me like, okay, well, this is how you build something or this is how you do that. And my partner, Zach was a huge influence on me and still is to this day, mm -hmm. just the way he sees the world, who he is as a person. And I was like, I've had a lot of moments, but this one lasted the longest because it lasted for years where I was like, I genuinely don't want to be anywhere else doing anything else right now. And I would say that to myself all the time. And it's like, I mm -hmm. couldn't imagine life being any better. And I would just giggle to myself and just like, you know, you actually <laughs> live in my old room over at Giants Foot because <laughs> she works at Giants Foot now. And I just lay in bed. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is the life I've always wanted for myself, you know, and I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine it getting any better. Um, and then, you know, things change with like an influx of more tourism, our business, uh, changed, um, owners. We all decided to sell it and move on from there and our paths diverged. And that's when I got to really understand the meaning of letting go of the positive too, because I was really struggling hanging on to the past in that I wanted it to stay the same. Like I didn't ever want this place to change. I wanted it to just our crew to be here doing our thing, having a blast. And then, you know, people have different goals and wants and needs in this world. And like every, like two of my partners got married and wanted to go back and start a family in the States. And my other partner had left long ago, wanting to go back and go back to graduate school. And, and I'm just like, what? Like, this is it. Why would you guys want to go anywhere and do that? And, mm -hmm. um, I would say it was a low point after that, like in the sense that it was really hard for me to like accept that this was never going to be the way it was for that many years. It had been for that many years. Um, and I had to realize that's when I had to let go of the good, you know, and just accept the changes that were happening around me and embrace them and love them for what they are. And yeah, it's been amazing ever since, you know, I've had a lot of adventures around the world mm -hmm. since then. And now I'm again back living in a place I love with all my heart with amazing people like yourselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't at all have any residue of that yearning for it to be what it used to be. Like it is the way it is now. And I'm stoked on it and I can see beautiful changes happening and I'm just excited to be a part of it again. You know? Yeah. 
Um, in your journeys around the world, do you, do you like kind of like see them in like separate periods of change in your life? Like, um, what I mean is when you go to a certain country, do you expect something like do you set an intention for the travel or the journey? And then like, how does the end result like differ from the result you were trying to get in the beginning? Um, I only ever had that happen once. So when I left to go to Europe and try to play professional soccer after university, um, the soccer thing didn't work out pretty quickly. After about a month, I realized like I wasn't going to make it. I didn't make any teams that I had tried out for. And I realized I'd come to the end of my career as a soccer player mm-hmm. and realized I was now searching for that thing that I'd always been searching for, um, which was a searching for truth, reality, and purpose in my life and life in general. And so I set out and I was by myself traveling for the next two months throughout Europe and just not connecting with Europe at all. It's too expensive. I was, you know, hitchhiking around. I was not staying in hostels. I mean, I met like one person or two people that were traveling the same way I was. You know, most people had a budget that they had landed with. Like I had landed with three grand when I got to um, Belgium. And by the end of the first three months in Europe, I was down to 1500 bucks. And I was like, and I didn't want to come home. I wanted to keep traveling. So, um, I called John Mm -hmm. and John came and met me and we hitchhiked around the world and made it work. You know, I made 1500 bucks go another nine months and he had 2,500 bucks and he made that go a whole year. And the whole time in my back of my mind, you know, truth, reality, purpose, truth, reality, purpose. I had my journal trying to understand it. And I remember a moment in India and we were on the train for like 30 hours or something like that. And going through a landscape I had seen in a movie once. I was like, I've been here before. I've seen this. I know I'd seen it in some artsy movie that I watched to watch my mom once. And I realized there was no music playing. And I realized the emotions that had been evoked by that movie weren't there and weren't real. And I realized at that moment that a lot of what I thought about the world and the experiences that I had wanted to have, I had been not tricked into believing, but I expected there to be music, the background music of like, you know, the score of some movie, that dramatic scene where it's like they're panning through the desert of like Mm -hmm. India or something like that. And like, there's a camel and, and it's just like, it wasn't like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, so much of my world and reality has been manufactured, you know, by Hollywood mm-hmm. or the media. And this is actually what it feels like to be on a train in India in the desert. And it was completely different. Very beautiful. But, you know, it smelled like shit. There's fucking like incredibly crazy amounts of like disparity of what I was seeing and feeling. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, yeah, for then on, I was like, I pretty much stopped watching television after that. No more movies. Like, it just doesn't, I don't understand it anymore because that's not the world that I live in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get good feelings really anymore from television because I find so much of it to be negative, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. That was super interesting. Do you feel like, um, oh, actually, I want to keep elaborating because oh, yeah. the, the whole truth, reality, and purpose thing I never found. So I landed back in in LA, and I remember my mom, dad, and my stepmom were there, and we went straight to a bar at the airport and sat down, and that was it. Like, that's what came out of my mouth first. Like, 
I started off this trip like wanting to find truth, reality, and purpose and never found it. You know, like I've had a bunch of different ideas of what it was for me and what it should mean for maybe the world, but they changed all the time. And it wasn't until I read the book, The Power Now, that I came up with something new about it. You know, and for me now, the truth is that my reality and purpose is to stay present as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And for me, like that is, that's where I'm at now. Truth, reality, and purpose. Truth is, I'm here to stay present. <laughs> that's my purpose in life. Uh-huh. That's, so. that's a really incredible, that's a good perspective to see life with because I, I feel like where you are now is like, I'm a little bit, I'm a couple steps behind you, you know? So mm-hmm. like hearing your experiences and like hearing what you've come, what conclusions that you've come from, from like what you've lived through really guides me and where I want to go next, you know? And like where I want to center my life. And like, um, before I go somewhere, I like to try to like center my intentions on somewhere. Like I journal a lot. So like when I journal, I'll be like, Oh, I think like, this time I want to really focus on like truth or like I want to focus on reality. And so hearing your, your, what you've strived for in your whole life kind of makes me figure out what I want to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, same with these people that I get to share these moments with on the yeah. microphone. Like, like I said, I'm mostly 199.9% inspired and motivated by my peers. You know, like, yeah, there's a the handful of like professional athletes or people out there who have gained a lot of notoriety for their accomplishments. But most of the time I still can't relate, you know, cause like <laughs> I don't think I'll accomplish those things. And I get the most from like, yeah, people like you who are striving and trying to understand and accomplishing in their own way, you know, by just getting out of their comfort zone. Like that's beautiful and that's creative and that's where like the most profound things happen and change the world. Yeah, it's really cool because you get to share that to other people. Mm-hmm. It's I think that's the greatest gift of all to be able. It's it's um, being able to share. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah we walk a, a narrow path as travelers. You know, that was one measure I always used as I traveled was if I knew I knew I was on the right path when I bumped into somebody randomly around the world that I hadn't expected to, mm-hmm. and it happened all the time. Like those were little signposts for me. Like yes, you're on the right path. Keep going. You know, I saw. I remember sitting. I don't know. We talked about this last night, but. I was sitting um, in the Oasis um, hostel in Granada mm-hmm. in like 2005, and I'm sitting next to a girl who had a full sleeve tattoo. This is before it was kind of trendy and cool, mm-hmm. especially for women to have them. And I looked at her. I'm like, were you in Thailand last year? And she's like, yeah, I was. I was like, I saw you on Khao San Road just walking. And I remember the sleeve tattoo with the artwork she had. It really stood out wow. as being unique and different. And we didn't even I didn't talk to her, but I remembered that's who I had seen and there she was sitting right next to me. We had a nice conversation. Wow. So that's happened to me a lot around the world, like crazy coincidences of bumping into people that I shouldn't have bumped into in the most backward places you can ever imagine. So, yeah, it's kind of cool because the world is so big still. It's so small. Totally. Yeah. Um, what do you do when you're like, cause you've done so many things. Like, do you ever feel like you're not sure what you want to do next? I know exactly what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's like kind of like what I found within the, the Louvre that one time, like I always want to be striving to be you know, the best person I can be creating a life that I desire and I want for myself. Um, that is benefiting not only me, but hopefully others as well. And 
I have such a thirst for seeing new places and learning new things and just cultures and stuff like that. Like that's still where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never wanted children. Um, having a wife is something that I don't know if I'll ever do. I like, I like, you know, partnerships and mm-hmm. the creative moments you get to share with somebody else. But for the most part, like I just want to keep growing and, for me, the, the travel thing and the the world is kind of the canvas in which I want to just keep painting on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to put it. <laughs> um, so where where are you going now? You know, like where? Well, this is big for me. This, this Misfits and Rejects is a really big deal for me in the sense, like, I love this. And I never in a million years would have thought this is where I'd be sitting right now with you having a conversation <laughs> on my podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, a really cool thing in that, like, for those people out there who don't know where their life is at and where they're going, you know, that first step is the most important one. And it can lead you to a place like this, like where I'm at, you know, like I had no, I, I had no desire to ever go to college. You know, I mm-hmm. went to university. I had no desire to do a lot of the things that I find myself doing now in love, but it's just that natural way that life, I think, guides you when you are willing to step out with open arms and embrace what does come. And it's hard and it's not always what you want in the moment, but it's going to take you in a direction and you're going to get to contrast those moments with what you really love and what you really don't like. And then you get to know like where that middle path is going to be that you're going to take to go to the next, you know, place. Mm-hmm. So can you repeat the question? I kind of oh. got sidetracked. <laughs> oh, I said, well, where are you going now? Oh, and so, yeah, the podcasting thing is something that I'll continue to nurture and grow um, my online business. Um, being an online entrepreneur is where I'm at, what I'm really driven to, to become in order to perpetuate my lifestyle. Um, I mean, the premise of my podcast is lifestyle design. I'm trying to design the life of a traveler who makes money on the road online. I get cash flow through the, the business ventures that I start online. So I don't have to be in one location to make money anymore. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. That's what I've been striving for for the last two years. Solid. And, um, it's been, a, it's probably been the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. Mm-hmm. I have no skill set for any of this. <laughs> um, there's no natural sort of like inclination of any, I don't understand any of these things. <laughs> Literally, and trying to learn it has been really hard for me, a slow process. Um, but that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to make online business. Ideally, I would like to create online assets, such as my surf course that I'm about to launch in the next month or two, that can continually perpetuate more cash flow. So it's kind of like a passive income sort of stream of cash flow. Would that be ideal? <laughs> um, but I have a feeling there'll be a lot more little business ventures online that I create. So I have multiple streams eventually that will then get me to my brain keeps jumping to Asia. Like I'd love to go back and spend more significant time in Asia. Language has always been something I'm interested in, but really bad at. (laughs) And I need to spend time. I think really dedicating myself to it. You know, I've been in Nicaragua now 12 years, you know, on and off and my Spanish is so embarrassingly bad. <laughs> you know, I get by, I can get everything I want, but uh-huh. if I'm approached and I don't understand the context of what someone's saying, I'm lost. Uh-huh. And I 
feel really insecure about that and, and embarrassed at times, you know, when I'm like seeing somebody I've seen for 12 years and he's still like talking to me and like he gets that he can see that I don't really understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And I feel like self-conscious about that. I really want to like, I think for myself, do it, but also just be kind of show the respect that I th- feel like they deserve that, you know, I'm in their mm-hmm. country and I should know their language, yeah. you know? So that's where I'm at in a big transitional phase of trying to grow something that I don't understand at all, but I will learn and hoping that it grows into something that can generate enough cash flow that I can be, you know, I can get an Airbnb in, in Shanghai for, you know, two months knowing that, you know, it's not going to drain the bank. I'll just have enough money flowing at all times and enough that if I need to fly home for a family member, I can, or if I need to participate and like give them some money to help them out with whatever they need, I can. That's what I want. That's my dream right now. Mm-hmm. It's cool as I feel like your dream. It's really um, rewarding to hear you say that because I feel like your dream is my dream, you know, mm-hmm. like, and so being able to like sit here and like pick your brain and like hear about like how you're trying to get there is like really incredibly rewarding to me. And I think that um, it's really, inwar- clearly it's rewarding to other people too, to be able to like listen to all the stories and like, as you grow, like we're all growing with you. It's yeah. Just- it's cool. I mean, I didn't have, again, I didn't expect this to be the way it is. I mean, I never wanted a podcast <laughs> here I am. And it's the vehicle that it needs to be like this podcast needs to be a podcast called misfits and rejects where I actually mm-hmm. talk to people like you, you know, I think me trying to recreate these fictional tales of characters I've met around the world wouldn't do justice to those individuals. You know, they need to tell their own story. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the best vehicle for it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> I um, I think right now in my life, I'm struggling the most with finding out what I want to do. And mm-hmm. I know that you never, like, you never need to truly know like where, like, exactly where you're going. But it's it's kind of lost sometimes, or I feel lost sometimes mm-hmm. if I don't feel like I really have a direction and I used to, so I'm a university student right now and I'm going to my third year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 20 years old. And so going into college, I was like, like, I'm really passionate about people and I want to help people. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think the law is really interesting. And this past few or this past summer, I worked with the public defender's office. And so it was really incredibly rewarding to, uh, to talk to people from such different circumstances that I have come from. And I, cause I'm like growing up, like I'm so incredibly like lucky to be in these circumstances I was just born into. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think the next logical step is giving back and to help people. But, um, after working this summer, I'm more sure of my passion for other people, but I'm less sure that I want to do it through law <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, um, I'm not so passionate about my studies anymore. Like I, and I enjoy like learning about the world and like international relations, but it's because of I'm learning about all these places I want to go, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think like when I ask people questions, when I talk to you, I'm realizing more and more like what I want and comparing that to what I go back home to at school. It's like what I don't want. Right. And so I'm I'm definitely on a path, but I'm not sure where. And that's where my insecurities are. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's that contrast we talked about. Like, now you know. Yeah. Now you know, like, going back gives you that little knot in your tummy. They're like, I don't really want this anymore. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you shouldn't finish school, because I think getting through it is a huge accomplishment that is worthwhile, knowing yeah. that you're going to have to suffer another year, whatever <laughs> that is. Uh-huh. Because there's going to be years that you're going to have to go through things that you don't want to go through, but you're going you're gonna to have to. Life's going to make you go through them. Um, but I think not knowing where you're going is okay. Knowing like how you're feeling and how you want to feel in the future can also be a guiding light. Cause that's kind of mm-hmm. one thing I've always done where it's like, I don't know where I'm going. Like I didn't know this podcast was going to become something even important to me, but I knew that I wanted to feel this connection with someone like you. I knew I wanted to feel the connection with, you know, um, Nabil Amra from episode 49, who's about to sail around the world during the golden globe. And like, I wanted to have these connections to people and the moment just came that creative moment where it's like, Oh, let's put a microphone in front of somebody. And then boom, you now have this new enterprise. You know, it's like, I remember actually being at UCLA, same situation as you like, I don't know what I want to do. And we are always working from this like framework that, Oh, I could be a lawyer. I could be a doctor. Like it's really Mm -hmm. hard to be creative and figure and create your own job Mm -hmm. or your own identity where it's like uh, something that no one's ever done before. Like create a job that no one's ever come up with. Like, how do you do that? How do you figure that out? You know, I was actually looking at a book, like trying to like, (laughs) like get inspiration from different job ideas. And, um, the whole, like, I couldn't have like, found myself in a cooler situation with the surf guiding thing. I was never going to be a professional surfer, but the only way I was ever going to be able to surf every day as my job was to become a surf guide in Nicaragua, (laughs) you know, and like following that feeling of knowing how I want to feel every day has been a guiding light for me. So I, I don't feel it's that important to know where you, where you want to go. It's just knowing where, how you want to feel when you're doing it. It sounds like school's not that thing for you, but this is, and you're going to have to like maybe go back and get through the next year or two and see how you feel at the end. And that'll be even more of a, a driving light to get back out here and do it again. Yeah. Or, hey, be creative and like talk to your profs and <laughs> create your own like degree that allows you to live here for the next year. Yeah. Where you get Bryce to sign off on like credits or something <laughs> like that. You know, like there are ways, creative ways that you can create your own life in the way you want while still remaining within the system back in the States. Just yeah. gotta be creative. Yeah. There's, um, I think I, I definitely want to get a Spanish minder now mm-hmm. because just being around here and like, even, um, for burger nights at giant's foot, like talking to all the girls in the back and all the guys and like being able to like hear about their daily lives and it's all in Spanish. And so like I've taken, um, Spanish throughout high school just like, cause I had to, and I never really like loved it, but like, being here in Nicaragua and like talking with people in Spanish, like no matter how much my accent is grating to their mm-hmm. ears, it's so rewarding because it's a whole new world. Like misfits and rejects in Spanish. Like, mm-hmm. That's incredible. Um, and, uh, I think that language is one of the most frustrating barriers sometimes in just getting to know people. Yeah. And getting to see their perspective. Cause like, um, it's so interesting how 
Like I was thinking about um, our language the other day, like how you, sometimes you just can't directly translate like Spanish to English or like, because I grew up speaking Chinese, um, Cantonese, and like how like some things in Chinese, like you, if you put that in English, like you'd be like, I don't, I have no idea what you're trying to say. And so like using Google Translate can like really help sometimes, but sometimes like um, it's the worst thing ever. Like I was in Thailand and um in Thailand, like, my friend uh, Riley and I, like, we thought that we would need, like, adapters, even though you don't. But we, so we walk into the 7-Eleven, and we're like, oh, like, uh, do you have adapters? Like, and, like power adapters. Yeah, for like, you. power adapters mm -hmm. for, like, plugging in your phone. Mm -hmm. And, like, of course, we weren't stupid enough to just, like, try to plug our phones in, because you can do that in Thailand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, we, we went there, and we're like, oh, like, do you have adapters? And they're like, we don't. We don't speak English. And I was like, don't worry, I got this. And so I whip out my phone and I pull up Google Translate and I go like, do you have adapters? And I, I show it to her and she goes, she just shakes her head. She's like, I don't, I don't understand what this is. And, um, so she takes her phone out too and she pulls out Google Translate. And I'm like, okay, so this, this can only go well from here because like we, we have translators and we were sitting there for like 30 minutes trying to just say like oh do you have like a power adapter like in three different ways and then at some point like I translated her tie to English and it goes like is your house on fire and I'm just wow. like wow like, this is the most frustrating thing ever but this is kind of hilarious mm -hmm. and so from that day on I was kind of like wow I need to learn more languages <laughs> Yeah, the essence too sometimes of a word, you know, can mean something completely different when mm -hmm. when it's used in a certain context. And I remember having those moments here when I started to kind of get better at Spanish and knowing like, oh, that person said it in that way, which means this, rather mm -hmm. than actually the words that were being said, like the meaning wasn't there. If you just translated the words, uh -huh. it meant something completely different. And you're right. I think that's when I feel the most... Um, enthusiastic about languages when I start to really understand the jokes mm -hmm. or the intonations of what they're trying to say, you mm -hmm. know, through the words they're using. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible how I feel like growing up in, um, we grew probably, I think we grew up in pretty similar circumstances where, um, we're really lucky mm -hmm. to have been born into this and to have these opportunities arise out of like where we've come from. Um, and I think that travel makes you realize how little you need. Yeah, for sure. To be happy. And mm -hmm. there's um this, my ex-boyfriend, he had to take this course um, as like part of his like freshman year. And it was all about happiness. And I read this book and it was just saying, it's basically just like what I've learned from traveling, but in a book. And it was just like, you don't, everything you have is in you, mm -hmm. you know, and you don't need that much. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And uh, just getting to travel with John over the, the year that we did it with so little, you really started to realize, like, we weren't really homeless. Obviously, we had the nice safety net of families that loved us where we could have called home if we got mm -hmm. in a situation. But I did. I do know what it feels like to have that insecurity of, like, where are you going to sleep tonight when you get into, like, say, St. Petersburg, Russia, and we're not going to get a hotel or a hostel. we got to try to find a safe place to sleep on the streets. And that's nerve-wracking. And then, you know, food, like we weren't spending money on food and we were figuring out ways to go, you know, behind grocery stores or whatever, even in really poor places. 
and figuring out how to eat and you realize the world wastes a lot of food mm-hmm. no matter where you are you're like oh you know indian people are so poor and whatnot but like you see the elite people in india like just wasting so much that as as a western like i was happy to go and eat their leftovers for example you know and that would fill my belly and then you know like clothes and, and so forth too like there's so much waste so like you can get food you can get clothes shelter is you know the third thing that you kind of need to survive and when you really break down life and what you need to live like those three things are kind of it and everything all of a sudden becomes real easy mm-hmm. you know and everything else all the stuff that you thought was important isn't and there's happiness there like I was so happy sitting on the street next to my best friend in some of these places, just looking around and like knowing that I didn't, we weren't going to be going into a hotel and we just had a nice piece of cardboard under us and we had whatever. And it was just beautiful and and really comfortable, even though it sounds super uncomfortable and simple. And yeah, trying to design a life of simplicity, that's been a big goal of mine as well. Mm -hmm. Did you journal during those travels? Yeah, I have them. I have never read them, them, though. I have, like, from that year, I think I wrote, like, three full journals, like, you know, front Uh and back pages of notebooks. Nice. So one day, I'll go back and read them. Yeah, I I always think, like, um, when I journal, I want to, I like, I don't want to read them now, but I want to read them when I'm, like, well, hopefully, like, a hundred years old and like I can't travel anymore Mm -hmm. but I can still travel through words Mm -hmm. I think you know in a hundred years you if you keep you know yourself healthy you could travel you Mm -hmm. know I think that's part of being a professional person of life you know in this (laughs) life like take care of yourself you know Um, try to abuse yourself as little as possible Mm -hmm. Um, have fun do what you like you know but um, there's no reason that you can't be traveling at a hundred you know, if, if you were lucky enough to not, you know, unfortunately a lot of, there's a lot of cancer in this world and things like that. But I think that as long as you're doing what you want, trying to stay happy and healthy, like you can do a lot of cool things in your later years. Like my grandfather, when he was 80, took a bus from England to Kathmandu, Nepal with his wife, 80 years old. They sat on a bus for like three weeks or however (laughs) long it took. And so it just goes to show, you know, just keep, keep your mind sharp and your body sharp and and they can do a lot in their older years. Yeah. How's their, Oh, sorry. You go. And I was going to say, and this will be a journal too. Like you'll, this will <laughs> live forever online and you'll get to go hear yourself as a 30 year old, a 40 year old and what you were like when you were 20. Uh huh. Yeah. I think, um, it'll be, it'll be really interesting. Sometimes I'll like go back and just read like entries from like, like the beginning of my journal. Cause I, I usually fill one up like every three months because I have a lot of thoughts mm-hmm. and, um, I'm just like a little horrified. <laughs> really? Yeah. Just cause I'm like, Oh God, like this is what I was worried about. Or like, you know, like this is, and it shows me a lot of like the small things. Cause I write every single one of my thoughts down at the end of the day in this journal. And I'm like, it, it helps me be mindful. Cause I'm like, wow, like looking back on it, like, did I really need to worry about this? Or like, looking back on this, like, wow, I'm so thankful I got to experience this. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, it, it keeps me really mindful. Because yeah. sometimes I do, like you were talking about how people can get really swept up in, like, drugs and partying. and like, Especially at my age, I feel like it's a time when, like, you're at a crossroads. You're like, I can just let myself go. Or, or like, I can choose to be mindful. And I feel like 
life is constantly towing the line between those two. Yeah. And so I think journaling and like looking back on your experiences helps or just not even just looking back, just like knowing that at the end of the day, I'm going to write this down or at the beginning of the morning, I'm going to write it down. Like it, it makes me think like, what, what would I be proud to do or like look back on? Right. Yeah. It's so easy to, you know, crack a beer, Mm -hmm. you know, smoke some weed, do whatever you like to make you feel good in the moment. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. What's harder is, you know, getting up early, walking, because for me to go surf, you know, it takes like about 30, 45 minutes to walk to the nearest wave that I like to surf, mm-hmm. you know, surf for a few hours, walk back, and that takes a bit of effort, you know, but the lasting effect of positivity that has over me lasts a lot longer than, you know, the few beers I have every night that then makes me groggy the next morning and then more lazy or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think about that li- a lot, you know, that line. Because I do enjoy the social aspect of our evenings here yeah. where we all meet and have a few drinks and, you know, reminisce on the day, the hardships that we go through, the fun moments. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's just a fine line because here, like, there aren't any checks and balances. Like, yeah. no one's going to tell you that your behavior is out of line if you wake up every day and do what you do that's socially unacceptable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How has uh, surfing, like, kind of informed your philosophy on life? Um. For me, it was just something I did because I loved it. It was challenging. It was something I was never good at. Um, so I really had to work at it. I was always a good athlete, but surfing was the first sport I did where I was not good at it. All the people that I did it with were excelling a lot faster than I was. And I couldn't ever understand that, which is why I think I also stuck with it for so long. Because mm-hmm. it's constantly challenging me. And then not knowing until I read that book, The Power of Now, that like when you stand up on a wave you're in the moment completely wholeheartedly. There is nothing else there except for you and that wave and the ocean and the environment. And that over a two hour session accumulates to, I don't know, maybe a minute or two of pure consciousness, pure presence, which can have again, tremendously powerful effects over your being on a daily basis. And so it wasn't until I read the book that I realized, Oh, that's probably another reason why I'm so, in, in love with the ocean and surfing because I get to go. It's like a meditative activity I get to do mm-hmm. on a daily where I, I accumulate whatever I said, a minute or two of pure presence and pure consciousness where I don't know how many people can say that in this world, you know? Yeah. Cause they're behind a desk every day or they're not doing anything active or whatever it may be or whatever your thing is. Um, I just feel lucky to have that aspect of my life, you know, where I, I get to enjoy the ocean every day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so how have your past relationships just like of anyone taught you how and how have they gone to where you are today? How have my past relationships affected where I'm at today? Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, I mean, all of my peers have really influenced me in a lot of ways. And the people I've always held the closest to me within my immediate proximity or just within my heart, like John, you know, my best friend, for example, like was somebody always challenging me and, and pushing the limits of what we did. You know, definitely somebody who I think really shaped me for who I am today, just in his just complete openness to whatever happens. Um, him always being willing to like jump into the deep end of something and 
fi- try to figure it out where I would I'd probably circle the pool about five times before I dove in. <laughs> um, so we, we contrast each other a lot in, in our differences. And I think we meet in a common place of always being willing to try. And uh, so, yeah, he's definitely been somebody. And then it's never been... Um, the dogs are going fucking crazy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have tons of, I think, people like that in my life. But then there's, I'm aware enough and open enough to the possibility of uh, hearing it from somebody that I didn't expect. You know, where I have a casual conversation with somebody and somebody says something in a in a unique way that really shapes me and how I think about the world. And mm-hmm. I, I journal too. I journaled for a long time, so I'd write that quote down. Mm-hmm. Like most of my journals are full of quotes of other people, not yeah. like profound, like Confucius saying. It's like <laughs> the way John structured a sentence once, you know, or the way you said something just goes in my journal. Like that's an amazing way to think about this in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I get influenced a lot by my peers for sure. Yeah. And more in a positive way nowadays. I mean, obviously as children, we are influenced in positive and negative ways, but I don't ever feel like I have to do drugs to be cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's funny. Cause it's like, I do that too. I do the exact same thing. I think, um, when Bryce was here, I was talking to him and he was saying like, <laughs> there was this, he was talk- telling me about the, about the military and he was saying that, uh, there is this like one quote that he and his, um, like fellow soldiers like told to each other. And they said like, Senator, like at that given moment, like, with the information we were given, like that was the best decision that we could make. And that, I thought that that quote was like incredible. I was like, that's true. Cause it's like when you're living your life, like you're do, you should just do the best you can with what you have. And like, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Decision-making I think for your generation is tremendously difficult. And even for mine, mm-hmm. because we have so many choices, so many options. Yeah. To, I mean, the world nowadays, like, there's so many options for us and it's overload, you know? And so like, how do you decide what to eat in the morning, what to do that day when you have so many options? And, uh, I agree. I had the same moment when I was here working as a boat captain and learning from Zach, uh, my partner. And he said, as a boat captain, you have to make decisions and sometimes you're going to make the wrong one, but you're going to have to stick with it under the circumstances and just like follow through with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me. And it's like, if you're going to be good at life, you're going to have to make decisions. And sometimes they're going to be tough. And sometimes it's not going to work out in the way you had hoped. Um, but you did, you made, at least you made one and you didn't stay frozen because if you stay stuck and frozen, then life starts to consume you in a way that, um, I think can take you to dark places within yourself and you can stay stuck for a long time. So keep moving, keep stepping forward, sidestepping, but just keep moving, making decisions. Yeah, and I think that um, staying stagnant is something that looking at my life, I felt like when I don't like something, it takes me a little bit because I will like push and I'm like, okay, no, I can get over this hump. But then I realize like, wow, I haven't moved in a while. And that's when I'm like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. That's how I feel about school right now a little yeah. bit. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with maybe then taking a year off or something like that mm-hmm. and going back. I know that's hard for a lot of people and especially parents to yeah. see their, their children maybe walk away from academia that they always hope they'd accomplish. But at the end of the day, it's your life. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and doing something for somebody else, like, although it might be fulfilling at the moment because you know your parents are proud of you, you might be missing out on an opportunity that's going to take you to a level that they never saw you getting to, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. What was, um, what was school like for you? Hard. Uh, yeah. Super hard. Like, just not gifted at all with school with reading with spelling i can't spell to this day like i have to create all this copy for my podcast and i don't know for all you listeners who do follow and read some of the stuff i write like you probably see quite a few spelling errors and (laughs) grammatical errors but you know i'll reread what i post 20 times before i post it and i still my brain just misses those things so yeah school was never easy for me at all um, I hated school all the way up until college where, again, like I was kind of on a whim. Like I decided, okay, I'm going to take responsibility for myself in order for me to accomplish this goal I've set for myself of playing soccer professionally. I guess I should go through university. Um, so I'm going to take university seriously. And then school actually became tolerable. I actually kind of enjoyed what I was doing because I was doing it on my terms, getting to take classes that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was way more enjoyable. I really enjoyed going to university. Had moments for sure where I hated it because I hated the class I was in. I didn't like the teacher. Mm -hmm. It was super hard because I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. But um, I think, unfortunately, the system itself is set up for most kids to fail in. And what I mean by that is that there's a very small percentage of children who actually can flourish in that type of environment with the vast variety of learning styles that are out there. Mm-hmm. I know there's like a lot of alternative schools out there that people are trying to get into the system, but unfortunately I think it's just such a big system. There's so many kids that need, I don't know, babysitters or whatever, yeah. like that. Um, a lot of kids I think are just going to have been, will be, and always will be left by the wayside by the system. Cause it's just, it's broken. Um, mm-hmm. I feel bad for my niece and nephew. They're, you know, very young and getting, their start within the school system and um, I don't personally think school is healthy for um, people (laughs) Mm -hmm. but at the same time I know it does have its benefits you know and um, yeah school sucked yeah most for the most part I hated it what did you study psychology oh cool yeah what were your favorite classes that like Um, you're like wow I really liked uh, social psych I really found that fascinating, just how truly influenced I was by um, social media, mm-hmm. for example. And then sports psychology was kind of interesting to me because I was an athlete. Psychology of learning, trying to understand how we learn and the different systems that theoretically are within us that mm-hmm. help us learn. Um, those are always the ones that I kind of dive back into in my brain to help me navigate through the world uh-huh. these days especially now with me having this podcast and social media being so prevalent and like getting things off the ground, trying to understand like what influences people to do certain things online and how to get them to participate in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love, I love psychology a lot. It was really interesting. And I never had any intention of doing it for a profession. It was more just trying to help again, me uh-huh. understand myself and navigate through this life. Yeah. How um how has your family influenced you in like your travels? Like, cause you said your grandpa when he was 80 took mm-hmm. a bus. Yeah. From, wait, where was it? Catman dude, Nepal. Yeah. Um, my family is always been supportive 
I feel like they have always just allowed me to be and do what I want, which is great, but also hard in some senses because I don't want to say that they didn't guide, but they didn't necessarily have lots of opinions about what I was doing. It was kind of always just like, cool, you know, like go do your thing. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you want to do that? Like, great, go enjoy yourself, you know? And I think that's cool. And I will probably, if I were to have ever had children, do it in the same way. But I think it's also something to be said for at least expressing your opinion about what you're doing. You know, maybe as a parent, try not to judge your child if they're making a decision that you wouldn't have chosen for them, but at least expressing like your thoughts and concerns about it. You know, like, like I said, like I was just always kind of left to do what I wanted. Um, and they instilled enough values in me that I, you made good decisions most of the time, but mm-hmm. it was, um, it's hard, you know, like, you know, you're 14 year old and like, you want to do this, like, is it the right decision to make at this point in time? And then not having necessarily the sounding boards of the adult figures in your life to say like, well, I don't know about that, you know, mm-hmm. like, or this is what I would do. It was more just kind of like static noise. just like, have fun, do your thing. Yeah. Be safe. Don't just die. be safe. Yeah. <laughs> be polite. Be on time. Those are the two things. Like that, those are the two most significant things. I feel like they instilled in me, which like, you know, be polite and be on time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. My <laughs> mom, um, she like what she instilled in me was, uh, like her, her saying was treat other people as you would like to be treated. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge thing for me. It's, it's cool. The wisdom that actually comes with us from childhood, because there are so many things that they've said yeah. to me, but like, that's what stuck. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously I've definitely heard that one before. Yeah. And it's interesting as now I'm 38 years old, it's had my birthday the other day. And yeah. you think back on the, the influence that your parents have had on you. And the things that they're absolutely right about and then the things that they're completely wrong about. Uh-huh. You know? And that becomes really, I think, fascinating as you get old and you start to realize like they didn't have all the answers. A lot of shit they told you they made up, you know, <laughs> like because they just were so sick of you asking the question or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yet you navigated through life with false information <laughs> and then coming to a, a crossroad, for example, where you're confronted with this information that you held as true your whole life. And then realizing that it's completely false. Yeah. And that's weird at times. You know, I don't have a great example for you, but I ha- I remember having a lot of moments um, thinking about things that my mom had said to me. And just realizing, like, no, that's absolutely <laughs> completely wrong, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. um, but she did her best. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she gave me a lot of love. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, there was this one time I was in New Zealand and we were skipping rocks and the, I, I just like, I turned to my friend and I go, what do you think is the meaning of life? And we talked about it for hours that day because mm-hmm. we just, in just skipping rocks and we, we were just like, the meaning of life is to love, at least to me, mm-hmm. in my perspective. Yeah. What, what would you think it is for you? Uh, stay present. Stay present. For me. Yeah. I think the love things, uh, an interesting one and a, and a fallback a lot of people use. And I think mm-hmm. when you, as you did discuss with your friend for a long time, I'd, I'm sure you came up with a definition that you both agreed upon. Like mm-hmm. what's a starting point for that word for you? Like what does love mean? You know, and I think a lot of people operate from the love the ego projects on things, mm-hmm. you know, the love I have for a girlfriend or boyfriend or my dog or my, 
whatever. Um, but then there's that love that is also used for that unconditional love mm -hmm. where there is no judgment, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that boyfriend or girlfriend that you love all of a sudden does something that you don't like. Now that love mm -hmm. turns to hate real quick. So mm -hmm. it's like, that's not for me, real love. That's just the ego loving something else that one, it wants to control and mm -hmm. have in its life where the love you speak of, maybe the, the purpose of life would be a different definition. And mm -hmm. that's where I always find it. Like, what definition are you operating from when you say the purpose of life is just to love? Um, there's actually, I have some quotes for these. <laughs> I have like a little, um, like in the notes section, I like take, I like write, write quotes down from like books and stuff like that. And, um, talking about, uh, like how I see love is, um, it's like through relationships with people, like not just romantic love, but like love in your inner daily interactions just with someone on the street or like, um, we'll probably talk about this later, but one of the things that made me who I am today is my mom passed away when I was really young and there is short, long story short, there is this one guy who smiled like right after I went to visit her in the ICU. And I don't know this guy at all. And like, there's this like 13 year old girl whose face kind of looks like, like I was going to cry, but I couldn't cry. And yeah. like, just looked really lost and confused. And like, he doesn't know who I am or where I've come from or where I'm going, but he still smiles at me. And that one little interaction, like that's love, mm -hmm. you know, cause you don't know what you're going to leave in someone's life. Like just walking down the street, like smile at someone. Cause you don't know where they, what their day is or like where they're coming from. And like, it's just like the actions that pay it forward, no matter how big or how small, like after the, the storm, when everyone was like helping each other in the community, like giving Concepcion clothes or like helping John, like shovel, like shovel sand and sandbags and like seeing Casey, like staple them and just like all the little actions you have and the things that you do, like you don't even realize is leaving a lasting impression on someone like that's love to me. And, um, so there's this quote and it says, uh, human knowledge is never contained in one person. It grows from the relationships we create between each other and the world. And still it is never complete. And it's, um, it's, it doesn't really have to do with love. That's relationships. And that's kind of how I think of life. Like it's never, what you do is never complete, but as long as you're, you're doing it and you're like trying to get to know people and like trying to pay it forward, no matter how big or small, like that's love. I don't know if that really made sense. That's a lot of rambling. No, it's but. great. <laughs> and I think to add to that, you know, with taking every encounter as an encounter that you can leave a, a lasting positive impression. And I mean, I know for me, like, again, a cycle of mental um, negativity I found myself in a lot was judging, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people, and not knowing them at all, mm -hmm. but just based on something, the way they looked or the way they um, acted in public or something like that. Me, you know, doing, having a, ascribing a negative sort of um, judgment on them and then getting to know them later personally mm -hmm. thinking they're just wonderful. And I think for me, it's always, or it's become very important over the years to, yeah, try to walk into every situation open mm -hmm. and even still having certain, you know, feelings arise just based on observing somebody else's actions still remaining like open to like hearing what they have to say and not judging them immediately for whatever you think they might be, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And I think, yeah, you're right. Within there, there's a lot of love if you just are always trying to be open to what could be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how you were saying, like, you think, uh, that living in the present is the meaning of life. There's another quote, and it's from the same book, actually. Um, and it goes, I don't believe in the wisdom of children, nor in the wisdom of the old. There is a moment, a cusp, when the sum of gathered experience is worn down by the details of living. We are never so wise as when we live in this moment. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it's really beautiful. It's actually by, um, it's called the When Breath Becomes Air. And it's about this guy who's trying to answer the question of like what makes life worth living in the face of death and it's because he has cancer and he throughout his whole life he has read literature and he considers literature as like people's like um answer to the question of what makes life worth living Mm -hmm. throughout the course of time and so like when he gets diagnosed um with a terminal lung cancer i think he starts to like like think like well if i have nothing like, if I know I'm going to, like, die, like, what? why should I keep going? So it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You should read it. Yeah, <laughs> I think it you sounds love fascinating. It. Yeah. yeah. I know I think about that, too, because um, my mom suffered from cancer. And when I say suffered, like, was in tremendous amount of pain for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I wonder if, if she could have suffered less. Because I feel like she didn't just suffer physically, she suffered mentally as well. Because her judgment upon her cancer, mm-hmm. since she had spent her whole life trying not to get cancer by living very healthily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming to a point where she got cancer and judging it as like, fuck. You know, I spent my whole yeah. life trying to avoid this. You know, like, fuck you, cancer. Like, now you're here and I can't get rid of you. And like, that added to the physical suffering that she was going through. And... I wonder sometimes if, you know, you, and I know you can, like she could have judged it differently. You know, she could have accepted it and moved through her last bit of time on earth differently, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, we always, we have choices in every moment of everything we do and you can choose to either accept it, change it or walk away from it. And I say that in a lot of episodes, you know, and when you're facing terminal, cancer or something like that i mean you don't have a choice at this point you have to accept it and if you don't you might create a lot more suffering for you and your loved ones around you because yeah my mom was hard to be around the last year she was like pushing people away and not happy you know and it was it was hard for everybody whereas if maybe she had just tried to accept it and really embraced it and learned from it then it would have been different for all of us yeah what cancer did she have uh, she had rectal cancer. Oh. Yeah. So when did she find out about it? Like- uh, she found out about it. Well, that was the other thing. She found out about like six years prior to passing, and she didn't tell anybody. We oh, didn't know. wow. So I came home for 2014. I got to spend it with her, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. But um, we didn't find out that it was actually cancer until three days before she died. And she kept it a secret, and it ate her alive, alive you know? So it's interesting. And that book sounds interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's because my, so my mom had, um, leukemia or mm-hmm. she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's crazy seeing a parent go through that. Yeah. Cause it's like growing up, like 
they're everything. Like they're literally a god to you because mm-hmm. like they're indestructible. Like nothing can hit them. And like coming to terms with the fact that like the people you looked up to so much, like they're just people too. Yeah, totally. How old were you when she passed? Um, thirteen. Wow. Yeah, it was the day before I started eighth grade. Wild. But um, I don't know. I think that that when I look at death now, I see it as a celebration of life, like at funerals and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And like um, when I live, like my vibrance and my energy for life, like that's not me. Like, that's all my mom. And, like, everything I do, like, I'm living for her. Because I was thinking, that like, in the past, like, there's going to be one day when I'm going to have lived longer than she has. Because she died, like, when she was, like, 38, like, 39. like My age right now. Yeah, really young. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's one day when I'm going to have lived longer than her. And, like, that's uncharted territory. Like, that's wild. And so I was just thinking, like, I'm, I'm living with her. Like yeah. she's with me and, um, everything I do, it's not for me. It's for her. And like every interaction I have, like treat other people like I want to be treated. Cause that's what she would have done. And like, she would have left them with, with love. Yeah. So, yeah. How are you? Like, how has that experience shaped who you are? Perspective gave me perspective on just what we talked about, the choices that we get to make, even in, in times of terminal illness. And then, just like you, like my mom died at 65. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in 2014. So I realized like I might only have 30 years left on this earth, you know, and that's not a lot of time mm-hmm. for me and all the things that I want to do. And so it just gave me more perspective and reinforced the life choices that I have made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want children. Like that's a, that's a, that's a fun aspect of life. I think a lot of people embrace and cherish and get a lot from but it's just not for me you know i don't want to dedicate 18 years of my life to somebody else Mm -hmm. i want to dedicate it to the ones that are in it now that i love and other people's that come in and out of it but i'm not interested in taking responsibility for another life form for 18 years Mm -hmm. there's other things that i would like to be dedicating my time towards Mm -hmm. that are yeah it's selfish i guess but that's i've all i've kind of always known that and just after watching mom pass like yeah. I think that it just solidified that even more. Yeah. I, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go. <laughs> um, I think I, I don't want to have kids either. I think, and I think it's just honestly like parenting, like it's saying that like, I don't, I don't think I could do what my parents did mm-hmm. ever in a million years. Cause my dad raised me by himself and that is incredible. And I don't think even with the help of someone else, like I could do that. I don't know. What were you? Um, well, to add what you were just saying, I, I, I'm at an age where a lot of friends are having families and unfortunately just the nature of relationships, some marriages deteriorate and I see them now trying to raise children separately with completely separate ideas of how they should be raising the children and then using children as weapons and, really just becoming, I feel like, what's the word? Just, I feel like not being fair to their children Mm -hmm. and their partners, the people that they, they started out promising they would love forever, you know? Yeah. And, um, I wish that they would take a step back and really just 
I think, look at why they're doing certain things and realize that they're doing it selfishly for themselves when they're trying to put it in this like um, framework. Oh, I'm doing it all for you know my little daughter or son. Um, but really, like, no, you're doing it for yourself in order to hurt the other person, you know, that you once loved, who you feel like did you wrong. Mm -hmm. And I feel sad a lot for the children that are involved in those types of situations mm -hmm. um, because it's not fair to them and it's having tremendous effects upon them. And I had a parent split up when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, you know, mom saying that she was always going to love dad and because she left my dad. And realizing, like, that wasn't true, mm -hmm. you know, like the love that we talked about, um, that unconditional love, they remained friends until the very end. You mm -hmm. know, it was always an amicable relationship. There was never any yelling or anything like that. But no, like she, she didn't love dad in the same way. Mm -hmm. Like they were always going to be cordial. But mm -hmm. that was, I think, you know, profound effect on like the understanding of relationships and the ebbs and flows of how things and people come together and then go apart. You know, I think monogamy is fine, but I think it's unnatural. And I think, you know, the, the coming and going of people within your life is really healthy rather than trying to hang on to something that ultimately will change for sure. And will change in a way that you're, you probably aren't going to be able to change in the exact way to keep it strong. Mm -hmm. So letting it go and then growing in a new way, I think for me is what I'm trying to design my life like, you know, being comfortable with letting people come and go and, and maintaining that unconditional love like my parents did have for themselves, but love did change for them for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. That's hard. How do you say, how do you deal with saying goodbye? Uh, me personally? Yeah. Um, that's always a hard one. I think, I mean, it's still like been accused of not having tons of emotion, but, <laughs> um, I feel that for me, it's, uh, a lot of ego plays into it. Definitely. You know, there's always that little thing in, in my back of my mind that always is like, Oh, I should have tried harder. I could have done better. Um, I could have changed it, you know, and then having to really, Except that no, like you did your best and um, even if the person doesn't choose to be in your life anymore, like you did show them the kind of the kindness, love and respect that they deserved and um, that's all I could have done, you know? And yeah, I still go through I think an emotional process of letting go that lasts whatever, weeks, months, years sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um but I think I've had to learn to um like we said, talked about earlier, like letting go. Like I just mm -hmm. try to stay as present and in those emotions, even though sometimes they hurt, mm -hmm. really just embrace them rather than trying to like suppress them. Mm -hmm. Because this, by embracing them, I find they dissipate a lot faster than trying to like suppress them where they, they, they stagnate, mm -hmm. you know, inside of me. And then they turn into anger and they turn into like what we just talked about where you know, I'm trying to punish that other person or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, like I see parents doing right now to their old partners. Yeah. So. Yes. Childhood is such like a developmental stage, you know, mm -hmm. like I was, I was talking to Bryce about, um, about like my mom too. And he was just saying like <laughs> the fact that like 
the smile of a stranger, like that's, that's something that's shaped who I am today. Like he's like, that's scary to me. Cause he's like, what if my interaction with a child sometime, like just like messes them up? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like childhood is so crazy. Yeah. And there's, yeah, you never, as parents, you never know like how you're really affecting your kids, you know, positive or negative. And I think trying to be the perfect parent is unrealistic and, you know, you're going to just have to do what you do. Um, and not worry about it too much because yeah, your kids are going to be positively and negatively affected by you and your behavior. Mm-hmm. So I think going back to the death thing, you know, with, with mom was like, um, I had a moment also where I realized suffering does end, you know, physical pain will end mm-hmm. and the relief that you will get from that, yeah. you know, it's like, one second is just over and like mom suffered like tremendous amount of physical pain for like six years. And then to watch her pass and realize, man, that was only six years of tremendous pain. Like, I guess I could do that if I had to, you know? So it gave me a different relationship and I guess I became less fearful mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say of death. And, um, you know, even being tortured to death, which would be a horrible way to go. Like the end will come. And that physical pain will subside and it will pass too, you know? Yeah. So when you see death, you're not, you're not afraid of it. Um, I don't think about it that much anymore. Mm -hmm. Am I afraid of it? I mean, I think, um, sure that, that there would probably come a moment. Like as I surf, I've had moments where I didn't think I was going to die, but like I panicked for sure Mm -hmm. underwater, not being able to get air in a situation that wasn't safe. Um, so I think we can all like, say that oh i'm not afraid of death or yes i'm terrified of death and then in the moment you just respond how you respond Mm -hmm. so i don't know is the best answer Mm -hmm. i just don't think about that much you know like i don't let it um into my daily routine Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know because it is going to happen to all of us yeah so i think I i i make choices though based on um calculated choices based on whether i think i'm gonna die or not you know, watching John's videos of him um, trying to save his boat, which oh. hopefully we're going to bring on for episode uh, 53. Um, I told him, I'm like, I don't know if I participated with you in that. You know, like, to see the ocean and what it was doing. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think I would have probably, I, I would have done everything as a supportive role. But to swim out there and try to save the boat, I don't know if I would have been on board with that. Now, again, in that moment, maybe I would have. But from the, the, the hindsight that of the video footage I've seen, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's where my value system would have laid in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we don't know until we're, we're really faced yeah. with that, you know? Yeah. And I feel lucky enough that I haven't come to face death yet. Yeah. And <laughs> when do you really know if you face yeah. death? I mean, you could be walking down the street. Yeah. And something happens, like, but you never knew it happened. And like, you could have already faced death like four or five times. You just never knew. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like some of the things that I've done, you know, over the years, like death could have been right around the corner and I just got Mm -hmm. through it and didn't ever realize it, you know, Mm -hmm. serendipity, life circumstances. You just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's crazy. It's like how, um, it's kind of reminds me of how like we, we all talk about sharks. Like everyone's so scared of a shark attack, but you're more likely to get hit by a car. Totally. Like every time you cross the street or like, and like for the amount of time I spent in the water over the last, you know, 20 something years, 
guarantee there has been sharks very close to me that mm -hmm. could have easily, if they chosen to bit me and taken my life. Yeah. But I don't know, <laughs> you know, yeah. but the odds are very high that I've definitely been encounters like with close dangerous sharks, but, yeah. but never knowing it. Yeah. It's sometimes that I, sometimes when I'm just laying in bed or like just thinking about things or like if I'm journaling, like I'm always surprised at how kind of arbitrary life can be sometimes, you know, like there is this one, I, my school, my university, like emails every time there's a student death and the, that's pretty morbid. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, it's like a notification, like this guy died and mm. Last week, a guy who was in my freshman dorm passed away in his apartment in San Luis Obispo he did, of natural causes. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. This is, it's kind of sad, but like the older I get, the more people die. And it's... <laughs> it's <laughs> I'm going to write that quote down. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, it's morbid, but it also like makes me think like, wow, I am so lucky to be here. And like, wow, I'm so lucky to be alive. And like every time like something comes my way and I'm like, I don't really like what's going on right now. I'm like, at least I'm alive. So I'm lucky to not like what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And at least I can do something about it or like I can accept it or like, I can touch someone else's life that this one person couldn't have. So I don't know. Death, death is a very morbid topic, but or it doesn't have to be. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of philosophies out there that embrace it and look forward to their death, you know? Yeah. Um, I was watching uh, a documentary recently with, uh, who's the guy who invented acid? Or didn't invent it, but Ken, not Ken Kesey, but um, that Harvard professor. Oh. I don't know. And, <laughs> like, after he did acid and got really into it and started realizing you know, whatever acid helps you realize like he started embracing the idea of death. And when his death did finally come of cancer, he didn't, he didn't try to treat it. He was just embraced it for what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really cool. I feel like people always ask, um, actually in the book, when breath becomes air, uh, it talks about how, like when you get diagnosed with terminal cancer, like a lot of people ask you like, Oh, what do you want to do with the time you have left? And he was saying that like a lot of the times when you have terminal cancer, like you, when you have like three weeks to live or six months to live, like your health is really deteriorating. So like back by that time, like you might not be able to accomplish what you want. You like, mm -hmm. you might not be able to travel. And so that kind of informed my philosophy of like, when I'm alive, like before I get cancer before that, like, I hope I do everything that I wanted to set out to do so that like when the day comes, we're like, okay, like this is, if I get that, you know, like that prior notification, like you're only going to get a few months to live. Like, I'm like, well, I think I'm happy with my life. Exactly. So. That's the goal for me as well. Sitting on my deathbed, looking back and just saying, I did it Yeah. rather than I wish I would have tried, you yeah. know, I did it. I mean, we don't get to do everything we always wanted, right? That's just not the nature of life, but mm -hmm. we can sure try. And as long as yeah. you try, you get to sit on your deathbed and say, at least I tried, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And I operate like that too. Like always thinking about, Hey, if I'm about to die, like what would I say to myself? If I didn't do this right now, mm -hmm. even if I'm scared, whatever. Yeah. My, um, well, I, when I was talking to you and Magenta about this at a Pozo, we, 
Magenta was saying, like, oh, it's incredible that, like, you're, you know, like, you're still in school, but you came to Nicaragua to live for a few months. And I'm like, yeah, like, I think I would do this in a heartbeat. And I think a lot of, then I talked to my friends who have gone through, like, times where they've seen suffering, like, they've seen death in their lives, like, that a lot of the time it, like, drives them to realize that, like, wow, this is probably the only time I have left and so I should go do it now instead of pushing it back because you always hear so many people when they're like 30 years old they're like what am I doing you know like I don't I'm not happy like with this career I'm not happy with this and that like they have what they thought that they would want but it ends up not being it Mm -hmm. and so I feel like when you see suffering at a young age it makes you realize earlier I guess that you don't want what the norm is. Yeah. So, but that's just my, um, kind of interpretation of the world. I think that there are a lot of people too, who do have it all and they still want more. And that's incredible too. Yeah. Or they have it all and they don't even know it, Mm -hmm. you know, or they want more, but they want more of something that's fulfilling, something that might not be, maybe coming from, or it might be coming from the ego, you know, or, mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's that fine line we all walk and trying to navigate this world and this life. Yeah. There's another quote <laughs> and it says, uh, normality is a paved road. It's comfortable. It's comfortable to walk, but no flowers grow. And I really like that. Yeah. That's beautiful. And you know, same with like travel where it's like, you know, adventure is, is when things don't go according to plan, you know, like a vacation, is where everything's structured and like you get to go to your club Mm -hmm. bed and like everything is exactly how it should be. And you grow in both situations tremendously, but you know, with through adventure, you really get to discover yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's this life is too good to us. You know, we're so lucky. It is. Um, so what are you the most thankful for? Would you say? Um, I'm thankful that I discovered, I discovered that I was capable of doing what I've created, like what I've done. I'm thankful that I had the people in my life to like allow me to be like my parents. Like I said, they just allowed me to do it. And then the other peers I had and my therapist allowed me to, or helped me discover that I was capable of having a life that I always wanted rather than conforming to what I thought I should have been doing you know, going out, getting the job, getting the house, the wife, the kids or whatever, when I knew intuitively that's not what I wanted at all. And having then the courage to like go after it. And yeah, that's a big one. I'm thankful for that because a lot of people, like you said, sit and they're 30, 40, 50 years old and they realize, you know, that I've been doing something for somebody else my whole life. And actually I really wanted to be doing this, but now it's either too late or whatever. Like Jungle Joe. Did you listen to Jungle Joe's episode? Not yet. You know, I mean, sometimes life circumstances don't, you know, give you those types of opportunities um, to really pursue your hopes and dreams. You know, he was a draft dodger during Vietnam and he was wanted by the FBI and he really wanted to go to music school in New York. But because he was a draft dodger, like he couldn't use his social security number to like get into school or apply like and he missed his window. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think life did what it did and he's happy with where he's at now but 
he did miss that opportunity that he was really hoping to have, which was become an actor and a musician and go to university because certain circumstances were the way they were at that time. So it's again, another of those moments where he could be upset about that and blame the system, you know, yeah. for him not being able to accomplish his hopes and dreams, but he accepted it, moved on. And I think is equally as happy as he would have been, you know, mm-hmm. let it be. Yeah. How about you? What are you thankful for? Um, I'm thankful besides like for life, like you're talking about earlier, I'm thankful for being so surrounded by good, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's so much good that, or I guess like just being able to see the good, Mm -hmm. um, just being able to stay positive and to like be able to to realize how good I have it. I think a lot of people, um, go through their life and they're, they really, they're really happy and they experience so many things and like they realize they experience things, but I don't, I think that sometimes it's so easy to be caught up in the experience that you don't pay it forward. Mm -hmm. And so I, I am thankful that I have the opportunity to see it and to do my best to pay it forward. That's big one for sure. That's, Sometimes I don't see it too. Disclaimer. (laughs) I don't see it sometimes. And sometimes like I'm really young. I'm naive. I have so much to learn. Um, and sometimes it can be a brat, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I'm glad that in the times I do see it, I try to pay it forward. And I think everyone is like that. Hopefully. I don't know. I think that ability to be conscious of it is a gift. Like I definitely wasn't conscious of it at all. Um, and it's taken a lot of years and a lot of practice again not slide into those psychological loops that kept me unconscious of my behavior of how i was seeing the world and perceiving things around me and you know like waking up next to john for so many years on the road you know sharing rooms and sharing cardboard boxes and whatever (laughs) like that guy can wake up anywhere under any circumstance have a smile on his face and Mm. just be happy and it wasn't until later on where i realized that i was never like that (laughs) I woke up feeling like shit a lot and pretty negative (laughs) that I had to like just try to emulate what he was doing. Even though I knew it was kind of fake within myself, I still tried. And with time, you wake up with a smile on your face and you try to put your best foot forward. You start adopting those behaviors and life starts to get a lot better. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have been if if I didn't have him next to me like that, like over those years, I'd probably still be kind of trapped in this unconscious negativity loop, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm thankful for that and being aware enough to at least know that if I tried, it might change my life. Yeah. One of my best friends, um, her name's Cece. She, uh, she struggled with like a lot of things in her life and we, we didn't meet until like last, the beginning of like last year, but, um, we would go on these runs together and no matter what day it was, like no matter what hour, like how we were feeling, like we always turn to each other. And the first thing we do when we go on our run is like, what are you grateful for today? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of having a person there to center you, um, is something that I think a lot of people don't realize how, like, or it's just so important because like you can do so much, but sometimes you need to get by with the help of your friends. Totally. And yeah. you know, what if you're stuck in a, in a family that is predominantly negative? Now that's, what's the being a byproduct of that for you? And then 
if you do become conscious enough of that, realizing that the people that you love the most, that you spend most of your time with at home are the, the negative people in your life, like how are you going to change it? Like that's a hard one. Yeah. You know, because obviously you're not going to probably disown your mom and dad mm -hmm. because they have a negative outlook on life, but you're going to have to navigate through that and find your own happiness and joy through the lenses that you've been, you know, given. Yeah. I feel also thankful for the people I'm surrounded with, not just here, but like at home, like at school, like I am so lucky to be around like my best friends and like people that make me want to be better every single day. Like I look at these girls and I look at my dad and my stepmom and my brother and I'm like, wow, like I wake up every day because I want to be better for you guys. And I think in relationships, you know, um, in a family, if you were to be in a family where you just kept dragging each other down, like I think like in some, hopefully in some way, like you look at the people that are dragging you down and you'd be like, wow, like I want to be better for us mm -hmm. or like, I want to be better for you. And it's hard to realize, but I think once, like, if you're in that situation, once you did realize that, like, you love this person so much and you want them to succeed just as much as you want to succeed, like, you would have that kind of, like, thought to be, I want to be better for you. Like, I'm going to get help for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I think, a uh, conclusion a lot of people come to, but still, like, the, the struggle that they have to go through is tremendous, you know, like mm -hmm. the influence of a father or mother on you is so, yeah. so big. And then you decide that you're going to wake up every day and be positive and they're going to wake up every day and be negative. And like to navigate through that, like, whoo you know, like I wish <laughs> yeah. people all the best because that's a hard yeah. one. That's probably the hardest thing you'll ever have to go through. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm just like kind of blissfully ignorant sometimes. I'm just, um, but I think that, yeah, I'm also thankful to be, like, disgustingly optimistic, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like, obscenely optimistic, um, because I think that I that it's going to help me in life. I mean, at times, it's going to make me really blind, and I'm not going to, I'm going to be in situations, and I have been in situations where I, I just don't understand. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really have, like, the emotional awareness of people around me sometimes. Like, I'll just plow on through, like, with a huge smile on my face. Like, um, there was this one, uh, time I was, I woke up and I walked over to the hostel and there was this volunteer there and his girlfriend had just left him because they just broke up. And okay. I go, like, 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 why are you, like, upset? Like, why are you frowning? Like, it's only 10. Like, let's smile. Like, can I buy you a drink? And he was just like, my girlfriend just left. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, but I was like, okay, like, well, let's go surfing. Like, let's let's get you happier. And so, like, I was like, oh, God. Like, what have I done? <laughs> you know? Like, sometimes I really put my foot in my mouth. But I don't think that anyone could ever judge you for being a positive person, you know? Um, and there's no reason I think you should ever tone that down. <laughs> like just being you, I think is, is fine. And yeah. I think just like that person smiled at you in the hospital that day you were down, like, although you was maybe caught off guard by your joy, um, I'm sure it was more helpful than hindering, you know, under the circumstances he found himself in. Yeah. I think, I think he is one of those people, he and my mom, I would say are 
one of the people who have given me this much joy. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Like, where do you draw your strength from? Um, I get my peers. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that and the, and the burning desire to be um, accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like strive to be somebody who's, if they say they're going to do something, they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that infects all walks of my life, you know. I don't like being judged as somebody who's a flake or somebody who does mm-hmm. says something but then doesn't deliver. I mean, even if I don't always deliver, like I at least tried, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think I get yeah. a lot of my motivation from. Yeah. Do you have like any really big regrets? Like how have they? How have you learned from them? Uh, regrets? No. There's not anything that I think back on that I always like am haunted by. I think there's probably like one or two girls I probably had an opportunity to sleep with, but I was too afraid <laughs> or too like, you know, self-conscious of, you know, like, Oh, am I good enough? And like mm-hmm. missed out on probably a beautiful opportunity to like share a moment with somebody. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, that's not even a real regret, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't see, I, I don't think I could have ever changed my situation, you know, being a minor, you know, having to kind of go through the system the way it was. I don't feel like the 17 years that I spent back in, you know, Costa Mesa could have really been different. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I could have discovered maybe putting my best foot forward a little bit earlier, but I mean, I don't have any regrets on that. So, mm-hmm. um, not yet. We'll yeah. see what we'll We'll see what comes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. My friend, um, Sam, I went to visit her in Huntington beach and she, actually lives, you know, where River Jetties is mm-hmm. like, like Huntington and Newport. Yeah. Like she lives right there. That's where I live too, actually. Yes. Oh really? Yeah. Oh no way. Mm-hmm. That's really dope. That's You guys are probably like neighbors or something. I mean, probably within a mile. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She, we went to that pizza place. It's like kind of like a small. Yeah. I know exactly like, what you're talking about. Yeah. The pizza. And she, if you turn mm-hmm. like into the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. like where there's like, you like they have the back to the river. Yeah, or I know like exactly that. those houses. That's that's where she lives. Wild, cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun this yeah. summer. I think it's um, it's really cool how, like, I feel like misfits and rejects, and especially like you have the ability to draw the beauty and the positivity from negative experiences that people have explored, like, and you can share that with other people, mm-hmm. and that's like a really that's the like, like it's such an incredible gift. Thank you. That's really nice of you to say. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think you're right in a lot of ways. I feel like the conversation that we just had and the conversations that I do have with people are always, um, even though we talk about sad things or negative mm-hmm. things, always trying to show that like you don't have to stay stuck in that negativity. You know, we can mm-hmm. explore it together and both maybe come to a conclusion that there's another way to think about it. Yeah. And that's like exactly right. The goal of Misfits and Rejects is to have all these beautiful characters on here who have their own story and their own experiences that somebody out there listening might relate to and say like, hey, if they can do it, I can do it too. Or mm-hmm. I can at least try. Yeah. You know, that's the goal. Yeah. If I, I think if I've taken away like any like really big things from this conversation, definitely be to try to let it be. Um, let how you feel and how you want to feel guide you. And, um, I think you should make your, you should type up like these podcasts, like transcribe them and make it a book, you know, like <laughs> I've had people tell me that and yeah. that might, you know, be coming. I mean, the whole 
entity is growing right now, and I have started it on a platform of my surf progression techniques, mm -hmm. which they're completely different entities. So in the next six months, I'm just separating everything and mm -hmm. creating its own website for Misfits and Rejects, and it'll it'll start to grow in its own way as its own entity. It's, it's so mm -hmm. intertwined now with surf progression techniques. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the transcription thing, I think probably in the future for sure, I think my intuition says that Misfits and Rejects is going to grow in a really interesting, cool way. Yeah. You know, I don't know which way, but like there's something that drives me to keep doing these things every Monday mm -hmm. and, and wanting to really grow it in a positive way and, and, and just let it be what it does for people, hopefully influencing in a positive way, you know, but yeah, it's a passion project. It is, it is, but it's, I think, a passion project that actually could grow into something that's a viable business too. Yeah. Which I'm excited about. Yeah. And if it doesn't, that's fine too. At least I, you know, I've been giving it a go, but, mm -hmm. but it's cool. Cause, um, a lot of people struggle. Like when I bamboozle people at like, when I'm out at bars and I'm like, tell me about your life. Like, mm -hmm. like, let me ask you all these questions that you're too drunk to answer right mm -hmm. now. Like, I think it's really incredible that you, um, show not just like vulnerabilities in other people, but with every single episode, like you give a little bit of yourself, you mm -hmm. know, and like, that's, what's going to make this viable, not just as a business, but as like a dream. Right. I think that's super important too. And I've, I've actually had people say that they want to hear more from me mm -hmm. because I'm more of like the listener in a mm -hmm. lot of the conversations and just try to explore, you know, the, the, the people's stories with them. But, um, that's why I do every 10th episode. I try to bring in just me and my voice and, mm -hmm. or have someone like you come on and interview me, uh, just to give, I think the audience more of me and mm -hmm. more insight into my thought process in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, when, when someone who is always asking the questions gets asked the questions. Yeah. Cause like, I know like if I'm ever like talking to someone, I'm like, Oh, like, uh, where have you come from? Like, what are you doing now? Like, where do you want to go? Like, what drives you to be who you are today? Like if someone asked me that while I was asking them that, like, I'm, I go like, why do you want to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what's it to you? Yeah. 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 It feels good for me too. I mean, mm -hmm. just my nature in general is more being inquisitive mm -hmm. with other people's lives than having that reciprocated. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, I, I don't get tons of people inquiring about my life the way you just did, which was really beautiful. And thank you for doing that. It's, it's been really nice sharing. <laughs> um, so yeah, it feels good. And this is an empowering podcast for me as well to mm -hmm. get to really kind of let the world hear my voice and, and what I'm interested in doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love, um, something else I'm thankful for, like, and one of the things that keeps me positive is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Like that is the single, if I have kids, <laughs> if I have kids, I want them to be so curious, like disgustingly, like positive about their curiosity and like, just like not afraid to go forward into life and to like leave a part of themselves everywhere. Cause that's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, I think that a lot of people, um, deal with saying goodbye and like I myself, I'm awful at it, but, um, I try to let my curiosity drive who I am. So like when I'm curious about someone, like I want to pull a piece of them to have with me. So when I say goodbye, I'm like, I have part of you with me. I know who you are. Like, you know who I am. And like, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's love. Mm -hmm. Like I'm ready to say goodbye, but I'm definitely going to see you again. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like 
that I do the same. You know, I don't really do goodbyes in a way that I feel like they're permanent. Mm-hmm. Because again, like I bump into people and see them all around the world. Yeah. And I'm actually somebody who does make the effort to like go visit people. You know, mm-hmm. as a traveler, you meet people like, oh, you can come stay with me. Yeah. Like I'm actually the guy that knocks <laughs> on your door and shows up, yeah. you know, and I like all of the relationships I've built upon that where like yeah. I was just in Scotland a year ago, nice. you know, chilly before that, just knocking on doors of people that I'd met saying, Hey, like I'm here. Let's hang <laughs> I'm out. Chafin. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> just shamelessly inviting yourself. Yeah. To yeah. And I hope to have enough of a, a stable lifestyle that I, I can reciprocate that someplace mm. sometime in the future or even now with, um, opportunities that I have, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, being a connector of people is incredible too. Mm-hmm. Like being saying like, Oh, like I'm here now, but I know somewhere where you're going. And I think that's cool. Cause as a traveler, you build this network, like just on Facebook, like, like during the storm, you can just go like, Oh, like, uh, like, does anyone have a place to stay? Or like, you know, or like if you're going somewhere, like, does anyone know where we should go eat? Or like anyone that I should say hi to, you know, and you just drop it on people's lives and bamboozle them. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of travel. Totally. Yeah. Do you have a blog or do you have a website? Yeah. Um, no, I want to though. I think that'd be really cool. Cool. Um, but I, maybe I'll start one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, every episode I, I like to close with the, the person talking about whatever they do, like plug if they have a website or a blog and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people connect with your story and want to reach out to you. Are you interested in, in sharing with anybody if they were to personally reach out and, and message you? Oh yeah, of course. I love talking to people. <laughs> love new friends. Um, where would they find you then? How they could, could they contact you? Uh, I have an Instagram okay. or Facebook. Okay. Um, Which one would you prefer? I'll put it in the show notes, but you can say it out loud now. Uh, maybe like, my Instagram is underscore C H L O R. And on Facebook, you can find me as Clarina He. It's C L A R I N A space H E. Um, and yeah, I'd love to share your story. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to talk your, talk you to death. <laughs> I've bamboozled you with questions. Um, yeah. And so you're going back uh, to school, San Luis Obispo, in December for uh, Christmas. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna try to stay through New Year's. Like, okay. I have to be at school January eighth. Okay. So I'll probably leave January eighth. Okay. <laughs> um, and then hopefully I'll be back. Um, cool. In Gigante, either in March or June. Okay. Um, and then hopefully again after that. All right. So you have one more year left. Uh, I have, um. I graduate June of 2019, so like two years technically, Okay. but I think I'm going to finesse my way into more travel for sure. I love it. Well, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out and spread your wings and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.